Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it. You did it. Woo! You made it to church. Well, man, if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter. And, uh, you know, today I want to just fire you up. I just want to get you guys dreaming bigger than you've ever dreamed before. Come on, are there any dreamers in the house? Come on, you, you, listen, you, if those of you who are married, you know when you're married to a dreamer. Some of you are like, yes, and they agitate me all the time. Listen, it's okay to be a dreamer. It's a, some of you, you, you had big dreams at one point, but you've kind of, you've caught this mindset that says, you know what, dreaming is bad. Or maybe you've caught this mindset of like, it's too late for me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so far behind, I need to stop dreaming. Or I, I've just, you know, Pastor, I've made way too many mistakes to even think that I could dream like that. You know what I'm saying? Or, or like a lot of people, it's just, you know, they, you talk to some people and they, they get one little injury and they think, there's like, just give up on my dream of sports. Or I'm just, you just don't understand, Pastor, how complicated my kids are, how complicated my spouse is. I can't dream that God is going to do something awesome with my marriage or my, my kids. And, and listen, here's the deal. I don't know your situation, but what I do know is that we serve a God who regularly defies the normal order of things. He can take things that are so far gone and he can resurrect them, dead, smelly areas of our lives, and absolutely turn them around. And I, I just, listen, if you've ever been tempted to feel like life is passing you by, that you've been overlooked or forgotten, I want you to listen up today because actually the scriptures teach that that's actually a spirit, okay? When you feel passed by, when you feel overlooked, when you feel like it's too late, I'm too old, I'm too young, that's actually a spirit that you need to learn how to resist. Because if you don't know how to resist that spirit, I'm just telling you, you're gonna be robbed over and over and over again. In fact, uh, I, I, I'm going to actually prove it to you in Scripture that, that there, this is a spirit that we need to resist, and I'm going to do it by recapping the story of the 12 spies in Canaan. And if you haven't heard this story before, don't worry, I'm just going to recap it. And just to kind of give you some context, uh, you know, at, at the time of the passage that we're about to read, Moses was the leader of God's people, the Israelites. Remember the story, he goes before Pharaoh, let my people go. And then there was the plagues, and then God parted the Red Sea, and then they got to the, the mountain of Sinai, and all these types of things. But the, the general idea was, God was like, hey, I want to create a nation, and I'm going to so bless them that the whole world is, is, is compelled to say, wow. Who is this God you served? Who is blessed like the Israelites? And then they'll want to follow God too, okay? And so to do that, he was going to give them a promised land. And he told them, hey, I've got a plan that is gorgeous. It is a place of extravagance, flowing with milk and honey. How many of you know that God wants to extravagantly bless you? Some of you, you don't actually believe that. You think God's, eh, it's going to be a mediocre land, Land, you know, it's going to be sticky. Yeah, God has a spouse for you, but they're going to be ugly. They're going to fart all the time, have weird issues, really terrible humor. And God's got a job. It's going to, yeah, 
might pay all right, and your coworkers are going to be weird, but you'll, you'll survive. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you, you, you again, you've, you, you've lowered your bar. You're not dreaming like God dreams. God's up in heaven saying, oh, loved ones, oh, it's coming, it's coming. But you're just, you've settled, and you're like, I don't think God, because God hasn't done it so far, I don't think he's going to do it. Because I already trusted him, and it's been a, it's been a week. <laughs> I prayed for God to heal me, and he didn't do it. I, like, I, I don't want to wait, you know what I'm saying? And that must mean God doesn't care, God doesn't, it, God doesn't do these things, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, God gives them a promised land, and, and at the time there was a wicked people group in the promised land called the Canaanites, which were, who were notorious for child sacrifice, and I don't want to get too much into that narrative today, but the gist was this. God finally said through Moses in Deuteronomy 120, he's like, come on, guys, go and take possession of that land. I've got this dream. I've given it to you. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. He's told them, don't be dismayed, but then what happened? They got dismayed, right? And so, so, but despite how many times God said, don't fear, they freaked out anyway, okay? So check out what God said in Deuteronomy 132. In spite of all that God had previously done, they did not trust in the Lord their God. Okay, so this is kind of the synopsis. And even though God did all the plagues, delivered them from the Pharaoh, one of the most powerful kings on earth, delivered them part of the Red Sea, despite all he had done, they really, they ultimately chose to not trust in the Lord their God. Instead, they begged Moses, Listen, before we go into the promised land, please, can we just send out spies? They, they wanted to create their own strategy, okay? They weren't comfortable, and so they thought, you know, we want to create our own strategy so to accommodate their immaturity, God's like, fine, okay, you don't trust me, Numbers 13, uh, then here's what you're going to do. I want you to get 12 spies, one for each tribe. Go spy out the land. You bring back your report, okay? And from God's perspective, all this spy business was just complete nonsense. God already knew. I've got a plan that's going to be supernatural. It's going to take me anyway. So, but okay, whatever. I mean, the whole thing was fixed from the beginning. Did any of them even wonder why God called it the promised land? You know what I mean? Like, hello. But in some ways, again, God was just merely allowing them to do carnal things to bolster their confidence. And just maybe, after the spies finish their little silly exercise, the Israelites might get fired up with faith and finally get the job done. Have you ever, those of you who are parents, have you ever tried to motivate your kids to do something that they just did not want to do? You know what I'm saying? You're like, every day, that's my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember, like, you know, my, I had to, like, motivate my three kids to, like, clean their bedrooms. And, of course, every one of them, they would, they would respond to a different type of motivation. I remember my oldest one, she always responded to creativity, right? If I just created a world of make-believe, and then, you know, it's like a cleaning party. You know what I'm saying? It's not just cleaning. It's a cleaning party. Uh, but, you know, imagine that you're Cinderella and I'm your friend helping you. And then she'd be like, oh, good. Then she'd clean the room and it would be like, awesome, I did it, right? Just needed to get creative. Well, I did the same with my son, except it was Star Wars. He was Yoda. He always wanted to be Yoda. I don't know why. I was his Jedi assistant. And then the moment we started prepping for battle by cleaning, you know, he literally was like, Padawans do not tell Master Jedis what to do. <laughs> that... Punk. That, I was so mad. Like, the work you must do. You know, like, it was like, don't you, mm, I'll show you the force on your dark side. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
get cleaning now. Okay, playtime is over. You know, like it didn't work, right? It didn't work. You see, it kind of backfired on me. I, I, I think about... I, I think about God just allowing them to do this whole spy business. He's just wanting them to get the job done. He's like, I want to bless you, but you're making it hard for me to bless you. You, you want, oh, you know, like I, I, I can't imagine this. And so the same thing happened with the spies. Instead of getting fired up to obey, the, 10 of the 12 spies came home and said, there's just no way. There's no way we can defeat the Canaanites. Even with God's help, they're just too big. But then the other two spies come, came home, Joshua and Caleb, right? Ten were bad, two were good. Remember the song? Okay, Sunday school song. Okay, most of you were like, woo, it didn't happen. But I, I just, the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, they were like, heck no, our God can absolutely take care of business. Let's, let's take the land, you know, trying to get everybody fired up, but nobody was doing it because the ten spies had already poisoned all of the Israelites saying, we can't do it, we can't do it. And so now, instead of celebrating, the Israelites are literally weeping and whining. The whole nation is weeping and whining. In fact, they got so far into weep fest that they made the decision, let's stone Moses and Aaron, choose a leader, and then let's go back to Egypt, as if that would be a welcoming party. I mean, think about how bad of an idea that was. And yet, this, they're convinced this is the only rational idea. And finally, God says, enough, enough. I've heard enough out of you. All y'all are going to die in the wilderness. If you're 20 years or older, I'm done with you, right? I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of a serious rebuke in Scripture. Numbers 14, God says some pretty intense words. As surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb, okay, now watch this. Watch what happens. It's like, lips, and he starts talking about Caleb, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Okay, I mean, I mean, God's basically saying, I gave all of you 10 chances that you have failed. I've done endless miracles, miracles that are bigger than most humans have ever seen on planet Earth, and yet you still choose to not believe in me. And so guess what? It's going to be 40 years before I'm going to allow you guys to try again. Okay? I'm going to let your, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to let your kids go in, but I'm not going to let you go in. And then, of course, the Israelites came up with an even dumber idea. They were like, you know, oh, so get this. Immediately after God declared this, this is crazy. This is a plague suddenly hit the 10 spies. Only the 10 fearful spies, and guess what? All 10 of them died on the spot, and everybody immediately freaked out like, whoa, holy cow, uh, we screwed up, God is, you know, like, we did this one wrong. And then the Israelites got an even dumber idea. They're like, well, maybe we can undo this by going into the promised land anyway without God's help. To which Moses was like, don't do it. That's a really, really bad idea. God said 40 years, so technically you're disobeying him again. And yet some of them went into the promised land anyway, got their butts whooped, and the rest is history. Okay, so that's just the, that's the story in a nutshell. Okay, now I want to take a moment in light of all that 
to circle back and just focus in on those two good spies, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua ended up replacing Moses as the leader of God's people. But, but, but I want to focus in on Caleb because notice what it says in verse 24. God says about him, but because Caleb actually is, a, is a, in Hebrew, it's Caleb, it means faithful. It also means dog because dogs are faithful, right? So it, Caleb, uh, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, a different what? Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, I, I just, just notice that. What does that mean? His spirit is different. I want to meditate on what it means to have a different spirit, a spirit like Caleb. What was it that he was pointing out about Caleb. My wife actually preached to our, our staff and she was preaching on this text and it absolutely stuck out to me. I, I started doing like a Bible study on, on every verse that I could find on Caleb because I wanted to find out what was it that made his spirit different? Why would God say this about him? And I, I suppose even from the immediate context, we could just say things like, well, I mean, Caleb believed in, in God's report instead of man's report. We could say, you know, I mean, Caleb was the one who said, it doesn't matter how big the Canaanites are. You know, again, it doesn't matter how behind you feel, how old you are. It doesn't matter that the doctors say it's terminal. It doesn't matter if the doctors say it's permanent. We serve a God who can part the stinking sea. It doesn't matter, okay? Whose report are you going to believe, God's or man's? You see, I, I think at some point in all of our lives, we're going to have to choose the spirit of Caleb, choose to rely on the promises of God instead of, instead of the circumstances, what our circumstances are telling us. I remember back in the day when, when uh, you guys, if those of you who've gone through our growth track, you've heard the story of our, our downtown building, the, the miracle there. My daughter, when she was 10, got a vision of the building, drew a picture of it and said, by this time next Thursday, Dad, you're going to find this building and we're going to buy it. And uh, sure enough, I walked into Historic Wesley, it matched the picture identically and and it was, it was like this really cool miracle. I don't want to focus on that part because I want to actually tell you the part that I normally don't share is what happened after that, okay? So what was funny was is our, our board made the decision to pursue this building um, that, on that exact day, uh, Thursday. And yet, we, so we went through the whole appraisal process, which if you've never done like commercial real estate appraisals, they take a long time and, and it can cost a lot. It can cost tens of thousands of dollars to merely appraise a building. Um, but offer after offer, year after year, every offer we made on that building just fell through and went nowhere. Okay, so it, we just kept getting turned down year after year after year. And it was very disconcerting because it was like, well, well, wait, why did God give us this miracle of how we found the building and yet we can't seem to get it? It was just... It was frustrating. Well, it turned out the, the, the real estate agent who had originally listed it, he, he actually didn't want us to get it because he was hoping for a bigger fish, like a, like a hotel, uh, to give him a bigger commission. And so every time we made an offer, he, he would either uh, say to the board, yeah, it's not a legit offer, or he wouldn't even show it to the board. I, and, you know, my guess is that he probably used our offer to try to lure other, because he, he wouldn't even respond to us for like two months after we'd make an offer. And he was probably going around to all these different real estate conglomerates trying to get bigger bids. And, uh, but you know, what would happen was, is in those moments, these delays, you know, I would start to think, what the heck? Like, why isn't this happening? Because it wasn't just, you know, two months. Then he would say no, and then it would be like a year, and then 
you know, I'd all of a sudden see the vision again. I'd be like, all right, let's make another offer. Let's do it again. And then the same thing would happen the next year. And then it would die. You know, we wouldn't get a response. And then the same thing would happen the next year. And it would die. And we wouldn't get a response. And it, it got to the point where, you know, like I even had a pastor come up to me and say, you know, Peter, I think you're wrong. I don't think that was, I don't think your daughter got, I don't think that was from the Lord even. I don't even think you're supposed to do this. And uh, people would say that to me a lot. In fact, there were people that even left our church over this, saying, I just literally don't think it's from the Lord. And in those low moments, I started to wonder, gosh, are they right, Lord? And, and yet the only thing I could sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me, whispering to me, is, Peter, whose report will you believe? It was really kind of a, a, a decision. Am I going to choose to believe the report of the Lord, or am I going to just look at my circumstances and try to discern God's will only from circumstances. Well, guess what? Just like God removed the walls of Jericho, God ended up removing that real estate agent from the mix. And, and, and the, the full story is actually way more miraculous than I even have the time to share, but you guys know what happened. We eventually got it, right? And it's easy to look back on that moment and say, okay, God was faithful. It's easy to look back and see the faithfulness of God, but when you're in the midst of the moment, it's hard because you got these emotions on both sides. And let me tell you, in moments like those, when you're surrounded with doubters, doubting will come easily. When you're surrounded by people who are overcome with fear, fear comes easily. That's why you need Caleb's in your life. Who are the Caleb's in your life? Who are the people who are willing to say, yeah, that reality is weird, it's tough, but God who are the Caleb's in your life who are willing to, again, we're not, I'm not saying find the weirdest, spooky faith person that you know. You know what I'm saying? Those are just, is always out there. I'm talking about people that can acknowledge reality. Yes, uh, th your diagnosis is terminal. But you know what? Our God is bigger than terminal. You know what I'm saying? People like that. And Caleb was even willing to challenge those around him. Look, look at what he said. He did this speech in Numbers 14 that was actually quite dangerous, especially when everybody was about to stone Moses and Aaron, the last thing you want to do is like step in there and say, hey, me too. Uh, but look at what he said. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. Okay, this is kind of a dramatic Middle Eastern thing, but it was actually quite common when you were, you know, as an act of repentance and tragedy, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, I mean, they just, this is their, this is their speech, like, please don't quit. The land we passed through and explored was exceedingly good. God's plan is good, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. They had just, the, the other spies were saying, they're, they're so big, they will devour us, the whole land will devour us. But he's like, no, 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 no. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. Think about that. He's like, come on, we've got the favor of God. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I mean, this is a speech that will get you killed really fast. In fact, actually, that's what happened is the people literally wanted to stone Caleb as well. And I, I, I say this because, listen, 
I think one of the hardest things about actually following God and dreaming really big dreams and praying prayers that only God can get the answer or that only God could provide the solution to is because you're going to get criticized at some point, okay? All divine dreams will have demonic critics. It is a fact, okay? There are people all throughout, like even in churches, who literally feed off fear. In fact, fear, believe it or not, is actually an addiction, okay? Let me just, this is gonna sound strange, but I wanna prove, just, I wanna show this to you, okay? Fear is an addiction. Fear is actually a motivator. Why do we use fear to motivate ourselves? Well, it's kind of like a stimulant. Think about it. Fear creates adrenaline. Adrenaline boosts your five senses. It gets, you know, your blood pumping. It gets, you know, your muscles all charged up. Fear is actually how a lot of people like to make themselves vigilant, Okay, so if you've been wounded before, a lot of times wounded people will try to fill their lives with more fear so that they won't get wounded again. That's why a lot of people listen to fear-mongering news because they're afraid of being wounded and so they want to continue to get themselves vigilant and charged up. They, again, it's a motivator, but over time it becomes an addiction. And here's the, here's the flip side of fear, okay? The other problem with fear is that it makes you dumber, it makes you less creative, and it makes you want to stone the very people that God is trying to help you with. Okay, that's the flip side of fear, is that it's actually not of the Lord. And God actually is saying, no, 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 no. It's okay to acknowledge reality, but you have to learn how to supplant that reality with me. You have to learn how to worship, literally to magnify God so that God is always bigger than the circumstances that you're, you're seeing, okay? Do you see the difference, okay? So fear and faith do, they, they, in some ways they do similar things, but, but this, this fear has all these side effects to it, okay? And so when you take a person who is addicted to fear, and there's a lot of Christians who are addicted to fear, and you try to swap it out with faith, guess what? You're gonna get a response that is very similar to an addict in withdrawal. How dare you tell me? You know what I'm saying? To trust God for healing after all these years when I haven't been healed. How dare you? I mean, again, that's why we say people who aren't getting better will become critics of those who are. They'll actually interpret your freedom as judgment. They'll even interpret your encouragement as aggression, and they'll try to get aggressive with you. Okay? So you, you need to understand this. I, I didn't... I didn't realize this until I actually became a professional encourager for my vocation. I, I, I never had any enemies until I stood behind the pulpit, and it was almost like the moment I would just share Bible verses in a, in a I, like I had never seen more mean letters, you know what I'm saying? And I, I suddenly understood, oh, I, okay, I'm dealing with fear addicts that, that maybe don't even realize it yet, and so I've got to figure out clever ways to try to make this dis exchange, but... I learned over the years that not everybody is going to respond to faith. They, they can't. They're, they're paralyzed. And so, but, but here's what gets me about Caleb in this story. I think this is what speaks to me the most. I mean, he had a lot of reasons to be mad at his friends. Because ultimately, if you think about it, they just cost him 40 years. To put it in perspective, if somebody caught, like cost you 40 years, imagine if your friend falsely accused you and now you get thrown in prison for 40 years. And now you are in a holding pattern. You are not getting your promised land because of your friend's sin in their lives. I mean, think about it. He has to live in the wilderness now for 40 years because of other people's sins. I mean, yeah, he's still going to go in. Moses, God told Moses, you're still going to get it. But he's calculating in his mind, I'm going to be at least 80 years old, at least 
I mean, if there was anyone who could have played the victim, it, it would have been Caleb, right? And yet 45 years later, guess what the Bible says about Caleb? This is what I've been leading you to, okay? This is the best part. I love this. Okay, look at this. Joshua 14.10. Look, I want you to just adopt. This is why I think God said Caleb has a different spirit, okay? Because here, right now, in the passage we're about to read, Caleb is 85 years old, and yet the Bible says that God gave him the body of a 40-year-old. Okay, so supernaturally gave him the body of a 40-year-old, even though he's 85. And listen to this feisty 85-year-old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hail country that the Lord promised me on that day. He's like, bam, I might be 85, but I'm ready. Like he's just like pulling the sword. I mean, could you imagine this? Talk about, I want to be that feisty at 85 years old. Come on. I love this. And, and, and you see, no wonder God said he has a different spirit. I think for a lot of us, we'd be like, oh, it's too late for me. I'm 85 years old, right? I can't even enjoy this now. You know what I mean? It's, I, I'm too far behind. I, the reason why I say this is because every single week I talk to Christians who are grieving because of an arbitrary timeline they set up for their lives. I talked to a friend who turned 30 and he was so depressed. I'm like, why are you depressed? Because I just imagined I would have all these things by the time I was 30 and look at me, I'm not married yet and I'm not this and I'm not, and he was just grieving. And I'm like, who set up that timeline for you? You did, not the Lord. The Lord already, the Lord is gonna provide all sorts of things. Just bro, chill. But again, I think we all do this. We all set up these timelines. If, if I'm not proposed to by such and such a day, if I'm not promoted, if I'm not pregnant by such and such, then it's game over, you know what I'm saying? At least we tell ourselves that. But listen, we serve a God who can take 45 years off your life. He can renew your youth like the eagle, the Bible says. He can, he can just, again, he can snap his fingers and turn a 85-year-old into a war machine, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just telling you that the, we're, the Bible is filled with stories who, who defied the natural order of things, defied the natural timelines that so many people set up for themselves. I mean, come on, you, we could talk about Abraham and Sarah, who the Bible says their bodies were as good as dead. That's how old they were, okay? That's pretty old. If somebody <laughs> describes you as, ah, they're good as dead. Okay, that's pretty old. And yet God was like, ah, that's exactly the circumstances I want to set up for their greatest, their greatest dreams are about to happen as soon as their bodies are as good as dead. And boom, that's exactly what happened. We could talk about Joseph, who, you know, he was stuck in prison for the best days of his life, not only for years, but for decades. And then God snaps his finger, takes him from a prison, makes him the second most powerful and wealthy man on planet Earth. I could talk about Moses, who, who he wanted everything to happen by 40. He even tried to make it happen at 40. He wanted to be the leader of God's people at 40. He even tried to kill an Egyptian. And then everybody was like, you know, they did the exact opposite. God was up in heaven saying, oh, Moses, chill. It ain't going to start until 80 for you. Almost everything we know about Moses started at 80 years old. And guess what? God extended it Moses, he extended Moses' life too. Listen, 
Loved ones, this is not an isolated miracle for Caleb. God does this over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, you need to drop the arbitrary timelines that you've set for your life. You need to chill. You know, like what if, what if your greatest exploits were going to start at 80? If that depresses you, and some of you it does, that means you don't understand God and you don't understand what he's capable of. That means you literally have adopted the spirit of the Israelites rather than the spirit of Caleb. Caleb had a different spirit. One of the things that I think gave him a different spirit is that he did not adopt the arbitrary timelines of just the normal order of things because he said, I serve a God who is beyond the ordinary. And so if you're out there and you're like, yeah, but Pastor Peter, you don't understand my spouse, my old boss, how they stole years of my life. Listen, I don't know who stole from you, but guess what? God's restitution is bigger than what was stolen. That's what a different spirit is, is when you know that you know that you know the character of your God is capable of giving you restitution that is so much bigger than anything that could ever be stolen that you don't even have to worry about it. It doesn't matter if someone stole years of your life. God can, again, just carve 45 years off of you, right? It doesn't matter what's been done to you. The passage of time does not equal the passing of opportunity for you. And I, I yet so many people miss this. I think kind of my favorite story to illustrate this is uh, back in the mid-1800s, there was this young farm girl by the name of Anna, uh, like her name was Anna Robertson. She grew up on a farm in New York State. And of course, in the 1800s, she was born right after Abraham Lincoln took office. And of course, you know, in those days, women did not have hardly any opportunity outside of the home. So if you were a, a, a woman who was a dreamer in those days, you really, uh, you know, there were a lot of limitations culturally. Less than 6% of women had jobs outside of the home. And, uh, and even if they did, you know, even it was always like pennies. They really didn't get paid to do anything. And, and so she was born on a farm and she, she thought to herself, you know what, I was born a farm girl, I'll probably die a farm girl. And, and sure enough, she ended up marrying a farmer and uh, was married to this farmer for over 40 years uh, when suddenly her husband died. So here she is at 67, all she's ever done for all 67 years of her life was just farm stuff. And she made the decision, well, okay, my husband's dead. I got to do it. So she literally started just be, she was a solo farmer. And she just took over the entire farm at 67. And, and uh, I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Her life was not an easy one. I mean, when you hear her biography, it was, it was pretty tough. I mean, she, she gave birth to 10 kids. Five of her kids ended up dying in some tragic way, which wasn't altogether unusual in those days. In fact, actually, uh, in 1900, it was very, very rare for anyone to turn 20 and have both of their parents still alive. It was very, very rare for anyone to, have, to not lose a few kids along the way. And, and the only time off she ever took in her life was she, she had once taken nine days off with one of the complicated pregnancies she had. Okay, but uh, so that was it, okay? There's no maternity leave in those days, right? So she's kind of, I'm, I'm basically saying she's one tough cookie, okay? And uh, she was constantly doing little side hustles just to make a little extra, you know, change on the side, homemade jams, kettle chips, little things like that. But she had one hobby, one hobby that she loved, one area where she loved to kind of dream. And that area was embroidery, which... 
you know, come on, any embroiders out there, come on, represent. Okay, they're not the type to shout, you know what I'm saying? They usually, you know, people who do this probably like to just, they're probably doing it right now, knitting while watching this sermon online. But, but she loved doing needlework of little farm landscapes. And of course, really the highlight of her life was when she won a blue ribbon at the fair for one of her little embroidered things that she did. It was like, honestly, it was like literally the highlight of her life. She won a little award for her jams and she won a blue ribbon for this little farm landscape she did. And of course, after all of her years of farming, it took a toll on her body. Her arthritis had gotten so bad and her, 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 her knuckles started swelling so much that she could barely even hold a needle anymore. And it was almost like her number one love was being taken away from her at about 76 years old, which was really frustrating because it was like, come on, this is, the, this is like her identity, right? And I, I, I share this because I think we've all been there or will be there at some point in our life. Every week I hear here at Substance somebody in a similar situation like, why would God allow me to this injury to kill my dream of pro sports? There's like an identity crisis that people go through or they lose a job or they get passed by for promotion and it suddenly sends them into an identity crisis. I think when we go through moments like these, these, these identity crises, these grieving processes, it's so easy to get weird and, and mad at God. And so here's Anna at 76. This is the one thing I love to do. My one dream is embroidery and yet I can't even do it now because my hands can't even hold a needle. And so finally Anna's sister was like, well, hey, Maybe, maybe, you know what, Anna, how about painting? How about, you know, you, instead of, you know, holding a needle, hold a paintbrush. You can, you know, hold it awkwardly even. I, you know, and Anna was like, well, I mean, I guess, why not? It's easier to hold a paintbrush than a needle. And so she grabbed some junk wood from the farm and anything, because she couldn't afford canvas and paint. She literally made her own paints, found some old boards, started painting them, old memories, of growing up on the farm. Well, over time, she heard down the road that the old drugstore was allowing, you know, old women like her to sell crafts at the drugstore. And, and so, you know, Thomas's drugstore in Hoosick Falls, New York, said to Anna Robertson right after she had turned 78, hey, Anna, why don't you give us a couple of your paintings? We'll hang them up in the store. We'll, you know, sell them for like three bucks and we'll split the profit. And she was like, well, why not, right? I got no, you know, like this is, why not? Okay, so here's a few of my paintings. They hung them up, and of course, you know, they didn't even sell. But at least Anna was like, hey, I'm just glad that anybody gets to appreciate my art, right? I mean, it's just, even that is a reward. Well, one day, there was a, an art collector from New York City who happened to be driving through the area, and he had stopped at the drugstore, and, and he looked at Anna Robertson's uh, old-timey folk art, and he thought it's really kind of crude and unsophisticated, yet he was hypnotized. He was like, man, there's something so charming about these farm landscapes, so folksy, and just like, ah, oh, I, I, I love it. And he, he literally went to the drugstore and said, I want to buy all of this art. In fact, actually, who did this? Who is this person? Because And they're like, oh, yeah, old Anna? Yeah, she's like 78. She lives on the farm down the road. He's like, can you give me your address? And so he drove to the farm and literally bought all of her art. Everything he could get her, his hands on, he bought. And he took it right to a gallery in New York City. And, of course, the moment he did a, a, a few showings of this, of course, all of a sudden, everybody loved these art, these paintings. It like people could not get enough of Anna's paintings. It was like a turning point. In fact, the interest became so large that when she turned 87 years old, 
all of a sudden, Hallmark greeting cards came knocking on her door and said, and said, Anna, we would love to sign a deal with you where we could take your paintings and turn them into Christmas cards. And guess what? The first year alone, they sold over 16 million Hallmark greeting cards, okay? And keep in mind, this is in the 40s, okay? So this was like, like mind-numbing success from, you know, zero to 60. And, of course, you can kind of see, you're like, oh, her pictures actually all look kind of familiar. In fact, she, she single-handedly uh, kind of took folk art like this and, and made it go everywhere around the 1950s when she, she turned 90 in the 1950s. Her folk art paintings were everywhere. They started putting her paintings on jigsaw puzzles. They started putting her paintings on magazines. They started putting them on calendars, on decorative collector plates. You name it. She literally made this style of art famous. And, and by 1960, museums started all like tripping over themselves to try to acquire her art because she had become the single most important folk artist in American history for that century. Okay, and now she doesn't go by the name Grandma Moses now, of course, or she doesn't go by the name Anna Roberts. She goes by the name Grandma Moses, and uh, she was made, put on the, uh, the, the cover of all these magazines, and of course, she's in her 90s now being celebrated everywhere. She was invited to meet with President Harry Truman. She met with JFK. She got to do custom paintings for Dwight Eisenhower. In fact, in 1965, they even made one of her paintings into a, a, a postage stamp. Hallmark sold over 100 million cards with her paintings, and believe it or not, she did over 2,000 paintings after she turned 80 years old. Come on, somebody. She was awarded two different doctorates but in her 90s, okay? So, I mean, just, I, she just, she just, get this. Even after she turned 100 years old, she did another 25 paintings that went for over a million dollars, okay? Come on, somebody. All I'm saying is, it's never too late. It is never too late. Stop putting limits on God. Don't equate the passing of time as the passing of opportunity. God can bend time. In fact, I don't think it's a mistake that she's known as Grandma Moses, right? Because think about Moses, right? His life basically started at 80. His greatest exploits started at 80. God can bend time. But when we get impatient, when we start, you know, taking on the spirit of the Israelites rather than the spirit of Caleb, that's when we start to complain. That's when we start to point the finger. That's when we die in the wilderness. And why? Because we interpret delays as denials, and that's not true. In fact, I want you just to allow the weight of this next statement to sink in, because this is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to take away. Delays do not mean God is disinterested in me. It does not mean God is disappointed in me, and it does not mean that God is denying you. Delays do not equal denials. But unfortunately, a lot of us, the moment we get impatient, we start, our minds start going down these weird rabbit trails of, oh, maybe God just doesn't love me. Maybe he loves that person, but he doesn't love me. He's not interested in me. Or maybe God is disappointed in me. We get into this analysis paralysis where we're combing over every single thing we did in our lives as though somehow it's all about us, okay? Some, yeah, and sometimes it is us, okay? So there's a little bit of introspection that can be helpful. Some of us, we don't have enough introspection. 
But I think there's also the opposite side of that, where we're just overanalyzing our behaviors. Or, or we think that delays equal denial. But listen, loved ones, the passage of time does not mean the passing of opportunity. If God can turn Caleb's 85-year-old body into a 40-year-old like that, he can bend time for you too. So just stop creating these timelines. If you really want to know what made Caleb different, just look at what Paul actually explains what made Caleb's spirit different. It was actually not Caleb's spirit. It was the spirit of God. For we, Paul writes, have not received the spirit of the world. Remember, we're talking about the spirit of the Israelites, the, what made Caleb's spirit different. Well, he's explaining it. We have not received the spirit of the world, the spirit of lack, of victimization, which the world wants us to catch, but the spirit who is from God. That Why? Why? That we may understand what God has freely given us, the ability to deny the normal order of things. The ability to experience life even when it doesn't make sense. Caleb knew God can give me anything, anytime, anywhere. And if it takes, if he's got to miraculously change my body as an 85-year-old, then so be it. He's going to do it, right? Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Let me, let me end with this. Let's just, let me give you your worst case scenario for your dreams. And let me just, let's just try this jacket on. It's awkward as it sounds. Let's just, let's just, let me give you a worst case scenario. Let me say, what if you came up here today and I could prophesy over you with absolute certainty a very, very dire thing over your life. Imagine if I told you, guess what? The Lord just said to me, you are gonna die young, you are gonna die tragically, and you're only gonna have, at most, two to three years of success, half of which is gonna be really, really stress stressful, and you're not even gonna enjoy half of those three years of success. Now, if I said that to many of you, most of you would be like, I rebuke that in Jesus' name, right? If I said that to you, you would be depressed, you know? You'd, you'd say, well, that sounds awful. Yet, what I just described there, okay? Die young, die tragically, at most two to three years of success. That would be kind of tragic sounding, and yet what I just described to you, believe it or not, is the greatest life that has ever been lived in all of human history, that of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that. That is the life of Jesus I just described in the Gospels. He died young. He really only had maybe two, at most three years of, of, of notoriety, half of which was quite stressful. And yet, guess what? Do you really think he regrets any of it? No, because he understood something. He had an eternal perspective when we have an eternal perspective, even that scenario wouldn't even matter. You and I could actually be completely joyful for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he knew, oh, listen, we got forever. This whole life is just a setup for, for, for a, a life to come. And I, I say that because I, I just wanna tell you, listen, I actually do believe that God does wanna bless you in this life. He actually does want you to experience life to the fullest. But even if your worst case scenario took place, listen, actually, you know what Jesus says to people like this? Luke 9, 24, when we lose our lives, that's when we find them. It's actually when we let go of our timelines, a lot of our dreams, that suddenly we get God's dream and suddenly we're like, oh, I didn't even know. That's 100 times better than my little needlework dream. Some of you, you just need to let God do his work in your life. Let him supplant your dream with his dream at his timeline. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, man, 
it's gonna make sense, right? Because one last thing I wanna share with you about Grandma Moses before I forget, in 1948, when she turned 88 years old, Mademoiselle Magazine, which was one of the largest magazines in the world at the time, they awarded her the Young Woman of the Year Award. <laughs> Wait a second, it's supposed to be an award for young women, yes. Wait, but she, didn't you just say she was 88 years old? Yes, I did. Listen, God can change the natural order of things. Listen to me. If God enabled Beethoven to write his greatest symphony after he was deaf, God enabled Susanna Wesley to become one of the most influential women in church history after her husband dragged her down for more than a decade. God enabled Handel, the composer, to write his most lucrative symphony after his, his reputation was completely destroyed. He gives his life to Christ and all of a sudden, that's when things took off. God enabled an old widow named Lady Huntington, does this sound familiar, from over the last couple months, to build over 116 Methodist church buildings after she thought her life was over. God enabled an impoverished retiree by the name of Colonel Sanders to start Kentucky Fried Chicken with a hundred bucks, you know what I'm saying? He got baptized at 77 and ended up pouring his fortune into building churches. Come on, every last one of these people had a God moment and every last one of them ended up defying time, the natural order of things, because they were like, you know what, God is bigger than my circumstances. And so listen to me, church, do not ever say it's too late for me. I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that. Say this, God is too good. And he can defy the natural order of things, right? And you wanna know what God will say when you do that? He'll say, hmm, now that person, they have a different spirit. Guess what, angels, at the proper time, at the proper time, I'm gonna bless the heck out of them in a way that, could only, that only I could. Listen to me, church. I don't know what you're dreaming about, but I want you to reignite those dreams and I want you just to allow your arbitrary definitions for how it's gonna happen to fall away. And we're gonna do that just by surrendering our lives to him right here, right now. Just close your eyes wherever you're at. Father, you see all the people here, you see all the circumstances, you see all of the pain from the past and Lord, so many of us have created rules for you. We're feeding off of our fear instead of our faith, and God, we're addicts. And we just need to let go of all of it and just say, God, we trust you, we need you, we love you, we know you're bigger. And um, Lord, you see all of the things that you created us to accomplish on earth. And I pray that every last person here would surrender to your purpose and your timeline so that they can experience the true joy that you have for us. And Lord, you can do with us whatever you want. Make us into however you see fit. Lord, we trust you that your plan is good for us. And church, if you've never given your life over to Christ, right here's the moment. Just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen.